What is up, everybody? Hello, welcome to episode 350 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. Uh, I had another link set up originally. I don't know what happened with that link. It got screwed up. I couldn't log on, so I had to create a new link last second. Sorry about that, guys. But here we are. And it has been four months, four months since I've been on the show. I've done... um I've done a couple of YouTube videos with like fight predictions and reviews and stuff. I've been active on Twitter and other social media, but I haven't done TNC in four months. In fact, episode 349 was broadcast February 20th. So just to put a date on it, uh, I missed you guys. I hope you miss me. It's been four months. So look, here's what we're going to do today. Um, going to just get caught up on everything. All right. I'm going to have to talk a lot. Um, I'm going to tell you guys uh, some news and notes about me, what's been going on with me, why I took this hiatus, what's been going on during this time, all that good stuff like in my life. So I'm going to talk about me just a little bit. Hopefully that's okay. I know some of you don't like that. You could just skip past that part. Uh, but then also we'll review what's been going on, not just the four months that I'm out, but the whole six months, the whole first half of this year. We'll give uh, a mid-year review. And you guys know, I'm not going to just talk about the good stuff. I'm not just going to talk about the bad stuff. Because there's people out there that are all, you know, everything's beautiful, sunshine and roses. And there are people out there that, oh my God, everything's terrible. It's doom and gloom nonstop. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. So we'll talk about all that. Uh, and look, usually we do this show on Monday, right? TNC is a Monday show. But the reason why I thought about coming back and doing it on a special date on a Friday is because today is June 30th. It is the last day of the first half of 2023. So I thought this would be a cool date to jump on. Uh, tomorrow is the first day of the second half of the year, right? So it'd be fun to jump on here and just talk about everything we've seen so far halfway through the year and then preview what's to come. So we're not going to do phone calls today. I apologize for those of you who want to jump on the phones and talk. Don't worry. We'll get back to the regular show format next month in July, okay? We'll have calls and all that good stuff. But um, today, I have so much to talk about. I'm just going to rant for like an hour here, and then uh, hopefully we'll be all caught up and we can move forward. Uh, real quick, I'm actually I'm having a glass of wine right now. I haven't had wine or a beer or anything in a while. So check out what I got here, guys. Let me, uh, let me have a sip real quick. Hmm. Very nice. I think it's been April was the last time I had any wine or beer or anything. It's been April. So look at this French. Um, I'm not even going to try to do this justice by announcing what this is or pronouncing what this is. Cause I know I'll completely butcher it. Chateau Lillian Ledo. Hey, we, we have several French listeners, several Canadian listeners. Maybe you guys can chime in. But look, hey, 2014, almost a decade old. This is a, uh, what is it? I'm reading the back here. This is a Merlot and Cab blend. So this is me trying to pretend I have an ounce of class, which I, I don't. But um, yeah, I um, decided, you know, it's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's been... 
probably two months since I've had a drop of any of this stuff. So let me have a glass of wine here on the show. So I'm going to have a sip of wine here and there as we go. And um, yeah, we'll have a lot of fun. Already in the chat, we got some uh, some super chats. My man, CJ Duncan, with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, welcome back. Thank you, brother. Good to be back. I missed you guys a lot. And um, looking forward to talking to you and getting uh, caught back up on everything. And we got a super chat from OJ22, a massive super chat. Thank you so much, OJ. He says, we miss you, Mike. Hope all is well with you and the family. Yes, things are good. In fact, I'm going to talk about that in just a second here um, and get you guys caught up. Again, I need to talk about myself just a little bit. I hope that's okay. Let me get into some of this stuff. Um, and we have a big, big preview today, guys. Okay, so um, get in on the chat. Again, phone call. For those of you just jumping on, no phones today, but um, we're going to – obviously, we got the live chat here on YouTube. You guys chime in with questions, comments, all that good stuff. Have fun. Chop it up as we always do. Make sure you're smashing that like button for me, okay? I didn't even talk about the fee. See, that's how rusty I am. Remember. Non-monetary fee for this show. I don't charge you guys money. If you, if you want to contribute, like several of you already have, I thank you very much for that. But we don't charge a fee here. What I ask for you to do, or we don't charge a monetary fee. What I ask you guys to do is simply spread the word about the show, man. Every follower, every subscriber I have on every social media platform is 100% by word of mouth. I've never paid a dime for any of it right? I pay for the software. I pay for the equipment I have, the studio you see me in, all that stuff. Yes, that costs money. The phone lines that I've been paying for for four months and not using. Um, yes. But as far as the following, that's completely organic. And I depend on you guys for that. So please spread the word. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at my notes here. Let's talk real quick about this hiatus because um, I was, quite frankly, I was surprised that I, I did a video in late February talking about unplugging from the boxing matrix, right? And I, there was quite a reaction to that video. I didn't expect that. I expected, um, I don't know, a, a few people to be like, okay, man, take some time. We'll see you later. But like, I got hundreds of messages there were people making YouTube videos about it. There were memes I saw on Twitter. Some of them were not very nice. Uh, it was bizarre, the reaction. I just wasn't expecting it. But anyway, um, I want to talk about why I took this little bit of a break. Um, first of all, before I get into that, I just want to say thank you so much. I literally received, I'm not even joking, guys. I'm not exaggerating this. I received hundreds of messages via text, DM comments, tweets, uh, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, all this stuff. Um, just from people from all over the world, literally from all over the world, just saying, hey, man, um, totally understand. Take some time. Chill with your family. Do what you got to do. Uh, hope to see you soon. Like that kind of a thing. And then that's a bunch of several of you guys uh, just talked about what this show meant to you. And several of you guys shared personal experiences, things that you were going through in your personal life, and um, talked about how this show was just part of, you know, what helped you get through certain things in your life. 
I was deeply touched by that. I, I, I can't even describe to you guys what those messages meant to me. So I, I didn't maybe fully appreciate what this show means to some of you guys out there. I know it means a lot to me. It means a hell of a lot to me, but I didn't realize what it me means to some of you guys out there. So um, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all, for all those messages. It was very uplifting and supportive at a time where I was going through a lot. And um, I'll, I can never thank you guys enough for that. I'll never forget it. I, I really truly mean that. It's a big part of why I'm back here today, honestly. Okay, so let's start with some of the good news. In, uh, in mid-February, I actually, um, right after my last amateur fight, uh, I had an amateur fight there in February, found out my wife was pregnant again. So obviously, when I talked about unplugging from the boxing matrix right then and there, I wasn't ready to announce that my wife was pregnant. It was a little too soon. Wanted to wait and make sure that she was healthy and the baby was healthy and all that good stuff, right? Now, of course, I'm ready to talk about this publicly. But you guys got to remember, we had a newborn baby already, okay? So we were planning to wait like a year, a year and a half to get pregnant again. Uh we got pregnant on accident. We we took precautions to to try to prevent it, but those things are never foolproof. They're ninety nine percent, you know, um, potent, but there's that one percent, right? So so um, it's good to know that my wife and I are still very healthy and virile and fertile. But yeah, this was a massive surprise to us. Um, so having a, what, at that time, three-month-old baby and then finding out my wife is pregnant, yeah, massive shock. And during that first trimester, uh, those of you who are parents, you know that uh, the wife, your wife, your, the, the mother, I should say, um, at that time is very sick. And they're having morning sickness, they're throwing up, they're, it's hard to hold down food. It's, you know, it's a rough time for them that first trimester. That's where my wife was at that time. So imagine having a three-month-old newborn who was having reflux issues, my, my daughter Jackie, and she was um, having trouble holding down food herself, which a lot of babies have. It's, it's a totally normal thing. Um, by the way, she's better with that now. At about six months, she outgrew it. Totally fine now. Totally fine. Anyway, at that time, it was a lot. So we were doing, I was training as a fighter, as an amateur boxer, fighting. I had a fight in mid-February, three-month-old newborn, and my wife was pregnant. So that was a bombshell dropped on us. and. Um, I will admit, I, I know exactly where I was when my wife told me I was actually driving to the boxing gym and um, she was crying. Okay. She was upset. She's like, oh my God, I haven't had three months to recover. I, I got to go through this again. It's complicated when you have two babies within a year, which we are having, they're going to be 12 months apart. These two girls are, by the way, it's going to be a girl. I just ruined that surprise, but they're going to be basically twins right? But when you have two kids within a year, it's an automatic C-section. The mother has to get a C-section. So that complicates things. There are just more doctor appointments. There, there's just, because you're more at risk for certain things, because 
the mother hasn't had time to recover. So anyway, that's where we were. My wife was upset. I got to admit, I was cheering. I was happy. I'm, I'm excited, dude. I'm excited to have another baby um, and have them so close together. But so anyway, guys, when that happened, it was, uh, I, I needed to unplug a little bit and focus on helping my wife. So here's the bad part. That was the good part. The bad part is literally that same week. Uh, you guys know, if you've been listening to the show and stuff, that my mother has had poor health in recent times, uh, recent years. Her, her health has been declining. And we've been taking her to these specialists, to these doctors, to the hospital, test after test after test to try to figure out what is going on. And we couldn't figure it out. Well, finally, she had to get a spinal tap, okay? Not pleasant. And she actually had to get multiple spinal taps. But anyway, this one spinal tap they did in uh, February, they found out, I, I guess they're able to test for a certain enzyme in your spinal column. And they detected it and discovered she has Alzheimer's. So it, it's painful to talk about still. My mom's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, unfortunately, that disease is obviously it's uncurable. It's basically a death sentence because you can't stop it, right? It has a, its own little life cycle, if you will, a, a, a lifespan. And some people have Alzheimer's for five years. Some have it for 20 years, right? It's completely random. But based on the level of enzyme my mother had and all this, the doctors are estimating that the Alzheimer's is about halfway through with her. So we don't know what that means. Maybe she's had Alzheimer's for two years. Maybe she's had it for 10 years, right? So maybe she's got two more years. Maybe she's got 10 more years left. But it was awful to, to learn that news, obviously. It was just, you know, terrible for my family. It was devastating. But at the same time, it was good because at least we figured out what the hell was going on, right? So now we know, okay, here's what this is. And now we can like target it and try to do everything we can, right? To, to prolong my mom's life and make the quality of her life as good as we can. My mom is young, by the way. My mom is 62. She's really young to have Alzheimer's. This is a symptom of her lupus. My mom has had lupus her whole life. And for those of you who don't know what lupus is, it is a autoimmune disorder. It's more prevalent in women than men. And it basically your body, for lack of a better expression, it attacks itself. And sub, for some people, it might be um, the lupus goes after your lungs. It might go after your heart. It might go after, you know, different things. And, and for my mom, it went after her brain. That's what happened. And it caused this early onset Alzheimer's. Okay. So that's where we are with this. So I found out my wife is pregnant. I found out my mother's dying from Alzheimer's within a week of each other. And um, my mom's out of state. You know, I, we live, me and my wife live in Atlanta now. We're hundreds, thousands of miles away from our families. Uh, my brother's dead. Obviously, you guys know that. If, but my sister is alive. So me and my sister have been working over the last four months to get my mom moved into an assisted living facility 
where there's medical people on staff and get her house sold. So imagine I live out of state uh, trying to, again, newborn baby, pregnant wife, <laughs> uh, trying to train as a competitive fighter, and my mother out of state having to talk to realtors over the phone and, and negotiate all this stuff to get her home on the market and then get my mom set up in an assisted living facility. So long story short there, we got my mom moved into a place this month in June, um, which is part of why I'm coming back now this month uh, on the show. Uh, we got her moved into a place which is for people 55 and up. And she has her own like studio apartment, but there's medical people like on the, I guess the grounds you could say, to where if there's an emergency, boom, someone could be right there. And the cool thing is this place is like literally three miles from my sister's house. So my sister can get there, boom, right away. She lived far from my sister before. It would take her, you know, over an hour to get to my mom's house before. Now, boom, she's right there, um, five minutes away. And we put my mom's house on the market for, I think it was on the market for less than a week and it sold. So now we're going through, it'll close next month, but um, we're able to get that done. And like, you know, I downsized my mom from this big house with stairs and all that. I, it's like, I don't want her walking up the damn stairs. She fell a few times. Like, no, there's a yard to take care of. No, no, no. Now we got her in like a little studio apartment. Okay, guys. So that's what I've been dealing with. Heavy shit. Heavy shit, right? And yes, I didn't want to talk about this stuff publicly at the time. Now that I've kind of sifted through some of it and we're at a better place with all of it, I feel comfortable talking about it. So um, my wife is due in early November with our second baby. Uh, we have a name picked out already. I'm not going to reveal, reveal that because I've already revealed the gender. Um, so I'll tell you guys that stuff later on. There's one other thing I've been working on. I dropped a couple of hints during my intro here, but I'm not going to give details until I'm further along in that process. Um, but there's one other thing I've been working on during this hiatus that um, the news of that will drop probably in late July. That's all I'm going to say for right now. Okay. I can't talk about that stuff publicly quite yet. But that's what's been going on with me. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to talk about myself for a good 15 minutes. I know that annoys some of you guys, but hopefully it wasn't too bad. Um, let's talk about boxing. That's what this show is supposed to be about, right? We're right about 20 minutes in. So what I want to do real quick is just talk about um, some of the fights that have taken place while I've been on hiatus. And I've done a couple of YouTube videos talking about this stuff. I've actually jumped on a few podcasts. I've done a couple of radio spots, uh, national sports radio spots during this break. And I've talked about some of these events, but I just want to give some real quick breakdowns here. What I think um, in March, March 25th, David Benavidez unanimous decision win over Caleb Plant. Um, I don't think anyone was really surprised by that result, right? Um, 
I thought Benavidez would win and win big. A lot of people thought Benavidez would stop Plant. He almost did. Uh, Plant's trainer, Stephen Breadband Edwards, really, really, really made it a point for Plant to be able to finish the fight on his feet. I don't know. It, it felt like the last few rounds that fight could have been stopped. But to me, I wasn't surprised at the results at all. Um, in fact, I expected Benavidez to maybe do a little more than he did, to be quite quite honest. Um, comparing the Canelo fight to Plant, I know Canelo gave up a few rounds against Plant early on while he was setting him up, but Canelo was able to use explosive power and precision, precision counterpunching to get Plant out of there. And there was just a little bit of that missing with Benavidez. Benavidez is a bruiser. It's kind of a weight bully, to be honest. He's a natural 200-pound guy that crunches down to 168. And um, he uses that size and kind of brute strength to wear opponents down. Um, but this was a massive learning curve of a fight for Benavidez, I thought. Because if you look at his resume, and I'm not trying to say this to be Negative, but his resume is not very strong, right? Plant's resume was very, very poor until he fought Canelo. And then that was, there was a big learning curve for that fight. Now he's fought Canelo and Benavidez. So his last two fights have been losses, or at least those two fights were losses, but he's learned a lot from them and probably become a better fighter for it. For Benavidez, his resume was very poor before going into this fight. I do think he learned a lot from it. Obviously, down the line, the biggest fight that could be made at super middleweight is between David Benavidez and Canelo Alvarez, at least currently. We'll talk about that in a little bit uh, when we get to some other stuff. April. We had two big fights in April. April 1st, Anthony Joshua scores a unanimous decision win over Jermaine Franklin. Look, some people were um, disappointed in Joshua's performance. They thought that um, he should have stopped Franklin. I get it. On the surface, yes, probably should have. But did Joshua lose a round in this fight? I, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he lost a couple rounds. But I thought he controlled most of the action here. He boxed well. He worked on some things. Joshua is really put under a microscope. And sometimes I think it's unfair. Sometimes I think it's fair because it's like, listen, this dude gets so many accolades. He's paid so well. He's one of the most popular athletes in all of the UK, one of the most popular people in all of the UK, there's celebrities. And um, he's kind of had a golden path laid out for him, even going back to the amateurs. I thought he got a gift in that gold medal match in the Olympics there in uh, London. Um, so I, I get it, okay? But I think sometimes people over-scrutinize with him. It reminds me a little bit of what Vladimir Klitschko went through. It was just the over-scrutinization. I don't even know if that's a word. Over-analyzation of some of his fights. Listen, AJ got a W here. He moves on. My biggest issue with this is he doesn't have a fight announced right now for the second half of the year. He should have a fight announced by now because he barely had a scratch on him in this fight. And I want to see him in there with a top 10 heavyweight this time around. We'll see what happens there. Uh, April 22nd, Gervonta Davis, KO7 win over Ryan Garcia in Las Vegas. So a lot was said about this fight. Um, commercially, massive success. It's, it was reported that this fight did a million pay-per-view buys. Now some people are saying it was more like 900,000. 
whatever. It did massive business. Okay. The, the gate was great. They made a lot of money revenue at the gate because they gouged for tickets. And guess what? People paid it. People really wanted to see this fight. I took some heat from the Tank Davis cult, the PBC cult, because I dared to say, you know what? This is a, the first big step up for both of these dudes. I'm sorry, but neither one of these guys has really fought an elite level fighter yet. And um, for Ryan Garcia, this this fight was who's a contender, who's a pre pretender, who's for real, who's not. And we got a definitive answer. So this fight served a purpose in that sense. It made people a lot of money. It showed us who's for real and who's for not. Javante Davis is for real. We know that at this point. He's for real. Ryan Garcia? Yeah, I don't know. In the aftermath of this fight, uh, he worked with Joe Goosen, and it was reported, I've heard from numerous sources, that Garcia was in and out of camp Kind of showed up when he wanted to, trained on his schedule. Goosen was basically there to supervise. That was his role in all of this. After the fight, Goosen wasn't there at the post-fight presser. Neither was Oscar De La Hoya or any of the Golden Boy staff. And Ryan Garcia has talked about that publicly. He's made this big stink about how they weren't there for him. They didn't help him with the catch weight, the rehydration clause. Listen, all of that is on Ryan Garcia's manager. I'm not even going to name his name, but that person has ruined Ryan Garcia's career before it even took off. He's made him really popular on social media and made him some money. But in terms of his boxing career, this dude has destroyed it. And now Golden Boy apparently is suing Ryan Garcia to hold him to his contract with them because they say it's locked solid. So it's a mess. I doubt Ryan Garcia is even going to fight again in 2023. So I don't know what to say about him, but I got to say at this point, a couple things are clear. Ryan Garcia's fan base is who made this a big event on pay-per-view. I think Gervonta Davis sold the tickets. He's a proven ticket seller and Davis has sold tickets in multiple markets around the country. So I, I do think Davis sold most of the tickets, but the people who bought the pay-per-view at home the overwhelming majority of those were Ryan Garcia fans off of TikTok and, and Instagram and all that. I don't know how much of that group Gervonta Davis will absorb going into his next pay-per-view. We'll find out. But for Ryan Garcia, I want to know what happens to his brand because this was a tough loss. He got dropped twice. He won the first round pretty handedly. Started the second round pretty well and then just got lazy and sloppy and got caught, got dropped, and didn't was just not able to recover after that. Hinted that he may have been injured in camp. Apparently, there was a rib injury before this fight. There's just all this drama. And look, the, the uh, catch weight, the rehydration clause, dude, you agreed to that shit. I don't put that on Javante Davis. Do I think it's weak that they wanted that stuff? Yeah, of course. But that's how they do business. You agreed to it. You made the deal with the devil and you agreed to those terms. You can't bitch about it afterwards. That's not how grown men act. So to, to me, at this point, the catch weight and all that stuff's irrelevant. You agreed to those terms. Um, so I don't know where Ryan Garcia goes from here. 
but he's a 140 fighter. And I look at that division and it's kind of wide open right now. There's titles all over the place, vacant titles and stuff. So it, it is wide open, but man, there are some killers in that division. So he's got a rough road ahead for him. We'll see what happens. I, I just don't know. As for Gervonta Davis, look, my position is the same as it's been for years now. I, I like Tank as a fighter. Outside the ring, hey, you know, what? that's not for me to judge. Inside the ring, I like Tank. He's exciting. He's explosive. There's some vulnerabilities there that I think an elite-level fighter could take advantage of, which is why he hasn't fought an elite-level fighter yet. But I want to see him in there against elite-level opposition. That's where I'm at with Gervonta Davis. I don't look at his resume and see anything spectacular. His accomplishments to a casual fan who is easily manipulated with O's and things like that, they think this guy is a pound-for-pound all-time great. But anybody with a shred of boxing history and knowledge can look at this resume and see what it is. It's Adrian Broner. It's Ricky Burns. It's Leo Santa Cruz. That's pretty much what it is to this point. I don't say that to be disrespectful. I say that because I want to see Gervonta Davis step it up. He's been fighting at 135 slash 140 the last few years, right? I do think he's a lightweight. The 140 thing was a one-off, but if we include 140 in the conversation, the guys who want to see him fight at 135, that is Lomachenko, who him and his team flat out said they don't want no part of a couple of years ago when they were asked about it. Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, even guys like George Cambosos would be, George Cambosos at this point would be the best lightweight opponent Gervonta Davis has fought. Just to put things into perspective, okay? That's not even Devin Haney's top win. And that would be Gervonta Davis's best win, especially if you fought him in Australia, which he wouldn't. He'd bring him to America. So I just want to put things in perspective. And then 140, you got Tiafima Lopez, Josh Taylor, Regis Progray, who I know didn't look great in his last fight. I still think he's a top-level junior welterweight. Guys like that. We haven't seen Tank in with that level of opposition. That's what I want to see. Until he fights that level of opposition, I'm going to have questions about the kid. Okay. May. May 6th, Canelo Alvarez, unanimous decision win over John Ryder in Mexico. This was his Mexican homecoming. Um, again, a lot of people looked at this and thought, what the heck, man? Canelo should dominate John Ryder. A prime Canelo would dominate him. I remember telling you guys before this fight, I don't remember if it was on TNC or maybe a video I did before. I can't remember what it was, but I remember talking about this on the platform somewhere. And I said, don't be surprised if John Ryder goes the distance. Don't be surprised if he does better than people expect. Don't be surprised that this fight reminds you of Canelo's fight against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Why did I say that? Because when Canelo fought Chavez, who he's light years better than. And a lot of people thought he should have stopped and he like pulled back on the brakes and didn't go hundred percent in that fight. He had the Gennady Golovkin fight right there. He didn't want to screw that up. He didn't want to possibly get injured or make a mistake in the Chavez fight. 
he had big business right there on the line that he didn't want to mess up. And that's what it was with this John Ryder fight. Subsequent to this bout, which by the way, Canelo clearly won. It's not like this was a close fight. He decisively won. After this fight, we turned, uh, we find out that Canelo Alvarez has apparently signed a three fight deal with premier boxing champions with PBC smart move by Canelo. That's where the fights are. Now he's beat all of the matchroom guys. There's nobody there to fight anymore. Unless you're going to do the rematch with Dimitri Bevel, which a lot of that blame is being put on Bevel right now because they're saying he priced himself out personally. I think Canelo really didn't want that fight. I just don't think, I mean, look, he got the, he got the hell beat out of him in that first fight. So it's not that I'm questioning Canelo's toughness or anything like that. I think Canelo can look at Dimitri Bevel, and then he can look over here and look at Jamal Charlo, Demetrius Andrade, David Morrell, David Benavidez. Those are all easier fights for Canelo than Dimitri Bevel is. Some of you guys out there, that may be controversial, but sorry, it's the truth. Dimitri Bevel is better than all those fighters, including David Benavidez. Bevel versus Benavidez, that's about 10 rounds to two, 118, 110 in favor of Bevel. Sorry, you may not want to hear that, but it's the truth. So I think Canelo's smart enough. And remember, I'm the guy that said when Canelo signed with Matchroom and he went on his tour of super middleweight and cleaned it out, I said, these are the easier opponents right now. Saunders, Plant, uh, all these guys that he's fighting at 168, they're all easier fights for him than Golovkin at that time. Charlo, Andre, they're the easier fights. Now, where Canelo is positioned, does he really want to fight Bevel or better Biev? When you can fight Benavidez, Morel, Charlo, Andre, those are easier fights than those two Russians. I know that might hurt some of you to hear that, but it's the truth. So Canelo is being smart. He made a smart business decision when he signed with Matchroom. He saw that through. He made a smart business decision now signing with PBC. He's going to see this through. He learned a lot, Canelo Alvarez did, in that fight against Floyd Mayweather. Learned a lot more about the business of boxing and selective, opportunistic, manipulative matchmaking in your favor more than he did about anything that goes on inside the ring. That's the truth. Oh, yeah, that wine's good. We got a super chat here from Jack Talks Boxing. Thank you so much, Jack. He says, well, 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 if it isn't Montero. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, remember, smash that like button if you're here on the show. And uh, spread the word. Pay the fee. All right, so this month, June 10th, Tiafima Lopez, unanimous decision win over Josh Taylor. On the same night, Jaime Munguia scores a unanimous decision win over Sergei Derevyanchenko. All right, so let's start at 140. Tiafima Lopez with this win over Josh Taylor. A couple things. Let, let, me, let me break this down just a little bit. Um, first of all, impressive win by Tiafima Lopez because a lot of people were questioning if this kid still has it, 
if he's mentally checked out, if he just is broken after that loss to Cambosos, all of it. He answered those questions with this W. And in doing so, he now, Tiafima Lopez, was the legitimate lightweight champion. What do I mean by that? When he beat Lomachenko, I don't give a shit about what the sanctioning bodies say, because I think at that time, the WBC sent an email bell to Devin Haney, who was a prospect, and that was Eddie Hearn manipulating the BC to get that all done. Okay, that was just sanctioning organization, business of boxing, nonsense. The champion of the division at that time was Lomachenko. Clearly, he was the guy. He had all the belts other than the email belt, and Tio beat him. So Tio was the legitimate lightweight champion and deserves credit for that. Now at 140, he beat Josh Taylor. And again, I don't give a shit. The, the same sanctioning organizations that refused to sanction a fight with Dimitri Bevel just because of his nationality, bigots, and, and strip guys of belts all the time and, and let things slide all the time. Guys like the Charlos can fight for, not fight for a year, two years, and hold on to their belts, their unified belts. In the case of Jamel Charlo, hasn't fought in over a year. Jamal Charlo has his belt for how long now? It's been over two years since he's fought. Those same organizations stripped Josh Taylor, right? I don't give a shit about that. Josh Taylor was the champion at 140. He cleaned out the division. He won the tournament. He beat everybody. And this wasn't Terrence Crawford's 140. This was a loaded division. And he he was the guy. And Tio just beat him. So now, in my opinion, Tiafima Lopez is the legitimate junior welterweight champion of the world and the number one guy at 140. If you don't rate Tiafima Lopez number one at 140, congratulations, you're an idiot. So Tio has two elite level wins, high level wins. And when I look at the five pups, Tiafima Lopez, Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, and I look at all their wins top to bottom and their accomplishments, Tiafima Lopez is number one. He has the two best wins by far, and he's got a couple of good B-level wins as well. I would put Devin Haney number two on that list, but you got to put T.O. number one. So if you got Tiafima Lopez on your pound for pound list right now, I ain't mad at you. I get it. By the way, pound for pound right now is jacked up because none of these guys are fighting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, as for Josh Taylor, inactivity killed this kid's career. Josh Taylor is not the most athletic guy. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the strongest, most explosive guy. He's not the hardest puncher. What Josh Taylor is, is a very skilled, cunning, tough, rugged fighter with a mean streak in him, a real fight. He's got that Terrence Crawford kind of mean streak in him, right? And guys like that, have to fight often to stay sharp because the, the, the degree of separation 
at the very, very top with these elite level fighters, you're talking about fractions of a percent, fractions of a second, right? And if you're not, if, if Josh Taylor is 80% and he's going up against an elite level opponent like Tio and Tio, let's say it was 95% for this fight. That's all the difference that it took for Tio to be better on that night. Josh has got to be operating at, no one's going to be a hundred percent, but he's got to be operating at close to a hundred percent to beat these elite level guys with his style. And you can't do that when you're inactive. Now he has had injuries. He's had different things come up, but some of it is his fault in the end and inactivity cost him, man. Uh, Mungia beating Derevyanchenko. Uh, some people were surprised at the competitiveness of that fight. Mungia is one of those guys who is, he's a beast offensively. He has every punch in the book. He's offensively is a monster, massive defensive liabilities, massive mental discipline type of liabilities. I'm not at liberty to talk about some of the things going on in his camp, but I will say that his team is not doing him any favors and they've really sabotaged his career in a lot of ways. His team is really, really certain members of his team have his management have let him down. Okay. I'll just say that. That's all I'm going to say on record, but um, he's actually, he was really overrated for a while at 154. A lot of people were anointing him as the next guy. And I was like, eh, pump the brakes. Now Mugia is getting to a point where I actually think he's starting to become underrated. And I understand he, this fight looked more competitive than people thought it should, but he got the dub, right? He moves on and he beat a very experienced top level opponent. The only guy who decisively beat Derevyanchenko was Charlo. And that was just a matter of styles. Derevyanchenko's style matches well with so many types of boxers. There's only one style that's shitty for him, and that's Charlo's type of style. Uh, but everybody else is he's going to be competitive with, every other style. And so I give Mungia credit for getting this W. For what it's worth, if Jaime Mungia fought Edgar Berlanga at 168, which people are talking about, I would bet the effing house payment on Mungia to win that fight and probably by stoppage. Yeah, I said it. Unless Berlanga caught him early with a big, big shot, which he could do. Jack in the chat says, uh, no, super chat. Thank you, Jack. He says, tell everyone I said, Derevinchenko will give Mungia hell. You did, Jack. You called it. You absolutely called it spot on. And, uh, hey, when Jack's right, he's right. When he's wrong, doesn't always own it. I'm just giving you shit, Jack. Now you called it, man. You called it. Okay. Uh, yeah, Grant G makes a good point. He said, dude is the best 11-5 and five fighter in history. Yeah, he's probably right. Derevyanchenko's record reminds me of a fighter from like the 1940s. Because you had got so many guys with records like that that were really, really good fighters. Um, but they were just fighting all the time. It's, instead of 11 and five, they'd be 55 and 25. And uh, they were great, really, really good fight. I won't say great, but really, really good fighters though. They were just fighting in an era where you're fighting every month and you're fighting against guys like Sugar Ray Robinson, Jake LaMotta, you know, those types of guys. Yeah, you're going to take some L's, you know? 
Sergey Dravinchenko is kind of a modern version of that. Okay. Let's talk about this midterm report. All right. Let's talk about the good and the bad. Um, I'm, I, some of you guys might get butt hurt with some of the things I have to say here, which is typical, right? That's just how it goes whenever I talk. Uh, I could sneeze and somebody out there would be offended. But I want to start with the good. It's always good to start with the good. Okay. So far, 2023, and today again, June 30th, it is the last day of the first half of the year. So far this year, we've gotten some really good matchups, right? And there are a lot of people I'm seeing on Twitter, um, these Facebook groups and stuff saying, man, this is 2023 is the best year in like 20 years, 30 years. Y'all need to slow the F down. It's not. We're getting some good fights. For the record, my favorite matchup so far that's on the schedule is Stephen Fulton versus Naoya Inouye. That's my favorite. I like that better than Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence for, for a multitude of reasons. But I really like that fight. I also really like the, the heavyweight fight between um, Zhang and Joyce, that rematch. I think that's going to be a lot. Of, uh, the first fight was great. I think the rematch is going to be even better because Joyce is going to be better in that rematch. Um, so we're getting some good fights, okay? We are. I talked about Tio and Taylor. That's a damn good fight. Loma and Haney. Oh, I forgot to mention Loma and Haney in my review. I'm sorry, guys. Holy shit. Devin Haney beats Vasily Lomachenko by decision. I don't know how I forgot to mention that in my review. Again, I'm rusty. It's been four months. But um, a lot of people didn't like that decision. I get it. Regardless of how you feel, I give Devin Haney credit for taking that kind of fight that guys like Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia have avoided. He took that fight after back-to-back -back fights in Australia against George Cambosa. So I, let's give Devin Haney some credit here. Also, Lomachenko haters. Let's give the old man some credit. In an era where we, we are begging the top fighters to face each other, okay? Look at the heavyweight division. Look at the middleweight division. It's in shambles, right? I'm going to get into all that. <laughs> but Lomachenko fought Orlando Salido in his second pro fight. Gary Russell in his third pro fight. Gary Russell is the type of fighter that is avoided by most boxers today. Lobo fights him in his third fight. Lobo fights Tiafima Lopez we didn't need to, who was a 140 squeezing down to 35. Devin Haney is a welterweight who squeezes down to 35. I know for a fact, because I have commission officials who I've spoken with, there are several lightweight fights that Devin Haney has fought out where he didn't really make 135. They kind of tip the scales a little bit. That dude is a massive lightweight. Lomachenko didn't have to fight him. Can we give the old man some credit? Can we just give him some credit? Even if you thought Haney edged it, the fact that Loma is even competitive with that kid right now shows the quality of fighter he is. So anyway, yeah, uh, good. that was a good fight. To get back to my point of the good so far in this year. 
that was a good matchup for all the reasons reasons I just mentioned. And actually, I got to admit, I thought that was going to be like a technical, tactical mismatch or not mismatch, chess match kind of a fight. And it ended up being this really, really exciting lightweight scrap. And that's, so it was a better fight than I expected. Um, so we're getting some good fights this year, although most of these good fights are on pay-per-view. Let's be honest. Loma Haney, pay-per-view. Uh, Davis and Garcia, which, I, again, I don't really see as this high-level fight, but commercially it was pay-per-view. Obviously, Crawford Spence, that's going to be pay-per-view. And you're going to have several more of these pay-per-views down the line. So you're getting some good fights, yes. And some of you are so excited. Here's the thing. Boxing fans are so used to being shit on that when you guys get a bone thrown your way, you're like, oh, my God. You're just you're so happy. You forget about all the bullshit. And you're just you're, you're so excited that you're finally Spence and Crawford. This should be their they should be fighting their rubber match this year, not their first fight. This is a cash out fight before they both move up to 154. So I'm excited that fight's happening. Of course, I'm going to watch. It did, the, the winner of that fight is the undisputed champion at welterweight. I don't know if they're the best welterweight. I don't know if they're better than Gerard Ennis right now. I don't know if they're better than Virgil Ortiz right now. I really don't. We're not going to find out because they're not going to fight those guys. No freaking way. They're going to move up to 154. I'm glad the fight's happening. But it's about three or four years too late for the first one to be happening. So while I'm excited and happy, I still recognize this other part of it. Some of you guys forget about that stuff. You, you're too easily hoodwinked. Um, here's another good thing about 2023. We are starting to see the new school rise up. We are starting to see the new kids on the block rise up and take over for this new generation. I just mentioned Devin Haney beating Lomachenko. Maybe you disagree with that. You thought Lomachenko won. Fair enough, okay? But even if you thought Loma edged it, the fact that Devin Haney was competitive with a first ballot Hall of Famer like Lomachenko says a lot. And the fact that Tiafima Lopez just beat Josh Taylor says a lot. Jared Big Baby Anderson has his first step-up kind of a fight this weekend. I think he's going to stop Charles Martin. He's on the rise. We're seeing some of these young kids finally step in. Gervonta Davis, I, I mentioned his resume isn't very good, but he's clearly the top American boxer right now in terms of commercial box office appeal. He's the new guy, right? He's not the face of boxing. That's Canelo Alvarez. And in the other hemisphere, it's still Anthony Joshua. But Gervonta Davis is the face of American boxing in this new up-and-coming generation. So you got these guys com coming up, and that's important. That process is important. I want to see these guys take more challenges and get that baton from the older generation even more and more. Hopefully we see that over the next uh, 6 to 12 months. We'll find out. But um, it is happening for, for the most part, and that's a good thing. That's part of boxing's cycle. Right now, this is why you all are here. Let's talk about the bad. Are you ready? Ah, before I do that, we have another super chat from my man Jack Talks Boxing. It says Berlanga couldn't hurt Mungia. Jaime Chin too good. 
Yeah, you're probably right about that, Jack. Um, I just, I like Mungia big in that fight. I, I really do. I think people are kind of overlooking Mungia now after overrating him for so long. And Berlanga just is who he is. Just is who he is. Okay, uh, let's talk about this. The bad. You can't have the good without the bad, okay? There are a lot of members of the media that are just not willing to talk about the not-so-good stuff. I get it. They're trying to keep that credential. Trying to, They want to be liked. Here's the thing about me. I don't care about being liked. I don't care. Some of you out there really, really hate me. The fact that I, I'm alive and breathing air makes you irate. Here's me losing sleep over that. I just don't care. So here we go. Um, the biggest issue we have right now is here. Okay. You know what? I'm just gonna make this simple. Here's a list of guys who have not fought yet this year or don't have a fight scheduled yet this year. Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, Deontay Wilder, half of the heavyweight top 10 right now hasn't fought yet this year, right? Dimitri Bevel, Gennady Golovkin, Jermel Charlo, Gary Antoine Russell, Juan Francisco Estrada, and I can go on. There's just a few. Here's a list of fighters that will likely only fight once this year. Once. Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, Jermall Charlo, Jerron Ennis, Ryan Garcia, Jaime Munguia, Tim Zhu, Demetrius Andrade. Now, maybe I'll be wrong about one or two of those guys, but most of those that I just listed will only fight once this year. So all the names I just, just listed, including the guys who haven't fought at all this year, all those names at most probably going to fight once this year. Those are boxing's biggest names outside of guys like Gervonta Davis, who has already fought twice this year to his credit. These other guys, they ain't fighting. That's a big deal. So you guys are getting a couple of big fights. You're getting Spence and, and Crawford. Awesome. Neither one of those guys are going to fight twice this year. They're going to fight once this year. Whoever wins that fight, mark my words, will not defend their undisputed welterweight championship. They will move up and wait. They will not fight for the rest of the year. They will move up and wait next year. Is that good? It's great we're getting the matchup but there's no build to it. It's a cash out, ladies and gentlemen. How about this? The heavyweight division, outside of Jared Anderson and Zhang and Joyce, it's dead. There's nothing going on. The best heavyweight in the world, in my opinion, is Alexander Usyk. He hasn't fought yet. Then you have Tyson Fury, who I don't know what the hell he's doing. He says something different every week. It's hard to keep up with him. Anthony Joshua fought once. I, he doesn't have anything scheduled for the second half of the year. He's the biggest star in the division. Nothing scheduled. Andy Ruiz, Deontay Wilder, are they going to fight? I don't know. Uh, Luis Ortiz, nothing. So, so that division's dead. How about cruiserweight? Remember a few years ago when cruiserweight was red hot? When you had... Usyk, you had Bellew, you had uh, Gassiev, 
Dorticos. You had these names. You had these guys fighting each other. You had the tournament going on. There was a couple seasons of that World Boxing Super Series tournament in Cruiserweight. Now it's dead. Does anyone know who the champions are at Cruiserweight? I mean, obviously we're diehards, so we know. But does anyone give a shit? That division's dead. Here's one that really hurts my heart. The middleweight division. It's dead. Demetrius Andrade, after years of complaining that he has someone to fight, finally had someone to fight, but he ducked him, dumped his belt, moved up to 168. Jamal Charlo hasn't fought in over two years. Somehow he still has a title. He's going to dump that belt, move up and wait and fight. Canelo Alvarez cashed out against him and lose by decision in Vegas this September. Gennady Golovkin's basically semi-retired at this point. His last fight was at 168. He's dumped all his belts. He had unified titles at 160. He dumped them. That division is in shambles. And it's one of the storied divisions in this sport. It's one of the original eight divisions. Some of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the history of this sport. If you look at the top 10 list of most people's pound-for-pound -pound best boxers ever, you're going to see a couple middleweights. This division is completely in shambles right now. So, hey, I'm glad we're getting Fulton in a way. I'm glad we're getting Spence and Crawford. That's awesome. But there's also this other stuff going on, guys. And there's more. We're not getting the fights at heavyweight because that's Fury Usyk. We're not getting it. How about light heavyweight? Are we going to get better Biev and Bevel this year? We should. There's no roadblock at this point. But if you're Bevel, you haven't fought yet this year, you probably want to tune up before you fight better Biev. Better Biev is a tough fight coming up against Callum Smith. People are underestimating that. That's a tough fight for him. Are we going to get better BF and Beevil this year? I don't think so. We're not getting that fight this year. And even if we do, Mauricio Suleiman, the WBC, they're not going to recognize it because of where Dimitri Beevil lives. Only just because of his address. doesn't matter. He spends half the year in America training here. So that's a mess. Super middleweight. I mentioned earlier, the biggest fight is Canelo Alvarez and David Benavides. That fight ain't happening this year. It's going to be Canelo versus Charlo. Charlo has, listen, Canelo Alvarez versus Jamal Charlo is a good fight. It's not a great fight. Here's why I say that. Jamal Charlo hasn't fought in over two years. He's also never fought at 168. So, that's where this fight will take place. For the undisputed super middleweight championship, has Jamal Charlo done anything, anything to deserve a, a, a chance at the undisputed super middleweight championship, let alone a chance at fighting for undisputed at middleweight? No. So it's a good fight, not a great fight. The fight we all want to see is Benavidez and, and Canelo. That's not going to, they're going to dangle that carrot and that'll be the third fight on that contract. Um, and by rights, Benavidez should be fighting Morel. That fight should be happening. It's not. So that's a mess. How about junior middleweight? Jermel Charlo is the undisputed champion. That's awesome. I love having an undisputed champion. He also hasn't fought in over a year. The top rising star in that division is Tim Zhu. 
and he is due a shot at Jermel Charlo. Are you guys sure that fight's going to happen? Remember when that was supposed to happen early this year, like at the beginning of this year? Well, it's almost July. This fight hasn't happened yet. Charlo hasn't fought yet. Zoo just fought. Looked good. Are you guys sure Jamel Charlo is going to fight Tim Zoo? It's possible. I don't know if it's going to happen. Wouldn't surprise me if Jamel Charlo just moves up to 160 since Jamal Charlo is moving up to 168. If they do fight, is it going to be this year? You sure Charlo's not going to want to tune up for fighting Zoo? I don't think that fight's happening this year. And there's zero reason why it shouldn't happen in 2023. How about uh, lightweight? Everybody and their mother knows the biggest star in the lightweight division is Gervonta Davis. Cool. Cool story, bro. He's the biggest popular name. I, I got you. But everybody knows the undisputed champion is Devin Haney. And most of us boxing insiders know that the actual best fighter in that division is Shakur Stevenson. Then there's the dark horse, Vasily Lomachenko, hanging around, who a lot of people think he should be the undisputed champion right now. Are we going to get the top guys fighting each other in that division? The answer is no, we're not. So that's a mess. And I can continue, okay? So I got one more thing here. I'm not trying to depress all you guys, but I got one more thing here. I'm just going to have a sip of wine real quick. All right. My last note about the bad right now, and there's plenty of good, but I got to mention the bad too. If you are a fan of boxing in the United States and you like to watch all the fights right now to subscribe to DAZN, ESPN slash ESPN plus and Showtime, those three platforms cost you about 500 bucks a year. It doesn't seem like it, right? Well, it's true. DAZN's over $200. ESPN plus is a buck 50. But don't, don't forget, you still pay for ESPN. It's part of your basic cable package. So you're paying five, six bucks a month as part of your basic cable package for the ESPN. And then for Showtime, I want to say it's maybe 12 bucks a month, something like that. So when you do the math, guys, just buying those platforms, if you're buying them for boxing, is $500. There is no other sport on earth but particularly in America, where you have an abundance of entertainment options, including sports, but not limited to sports. There is no other sport that costs you $500 just to watch on TV. And, and all of these platforms, but particularly Showtime and increasingly on DAZN, their best fights are on pay-per-view. Most of Showtime's top fights are pay-per-view. More and more of DAZN's top fights are on pay-per-view, but they're even starting to put like all these YouTuber, TikToker, influencer fights on pay-per-view as well. And ESPN's even had some pay-per-views lately. I mentioned Lomachenko Haney. That was pay-per-view. Tyson Fury's fight last year against... Um, 
Dillian White, that was pay-per-view. Nobody bought that, by the way. Nobody. It was completely bombed. So if you buy most of the pay-per-views, not even all of them, if you just buy, let's say, two-thirds of the pay-per-views, and then you pay for the subscriptions for these services, you're paying over $1,000 a year. That's not an exaggeration. That's elementary level math. You can check my math if you don't agree with me right now because it doesn't sound right. I know some of you are like, come on, Mike, it's not a thousand. You're exaggerating. No, seriously, do the math. If you buy more than half of the pay-per-views that will be out this year and you subscribe to those three platforms, you will spend $1,000 this year just watching boxing. That doesn't include going to a fight. That is a problem. And it's, it's a problem because it's, it's not a model that's sustainable. It's just not. So we got to figure something out here. I'm happy that fights are coming together. I'm happy we're getting some big fights. Awesome. Love it. But there's still all these issues. And I didn't even talk about bad decisions we've seen this year, bad ref stoppages, sanctioning organization craziness, drug testing insanity, dudes testing positive for Clomid, yet they got a fight lined up, a big money fight lined up, and their promoters finding a way to make it happen. I didn't even mention that stuff. Okay, because I could have kept going here. For those of you who think I'm Mr. Negative. I'm just saying, guys, yeah, there are some concerns out there. And I mention this stuff not because I'm a hater or a negative guy, pessimist, a curmudgeon. Maybe I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon. But I mention this stuff because I'm concerned because I love this freaking sport. I'm not just a guy who's a super fan. I'm not just a guy who's covered this sport as part of the media. I'm also a guy who has participated as an athlete in this sport. Okay. I've given a lot of my life to it and it's given me back a lot too. Okay. I'm thankful, but I'm concerned about where we're at. That's why I mentioned this stuff. Okay. I, I think a lot of you guys just misunderstand me sometimes. All right. A couple more super chats real quick. And then let's get to the preview. Then we're going to wrap this up. Sam. What's up, Sam? How you doing, brother? Super chat. Thank you so much. He says, Janabek is the best 160 guy right now. Completely agree. Best guy at 160. Unfortunately, he has no dance partner. And, you know, Golovkin was ducked by so many guys, but at least he had Canelo. And those fights happened. They were big fights. Everybody got paid. You guys know how I feel about the decision, particularly in the first fight, but at least Golovkin had that. Who does Janabek have to fight? Honestly. That division right now is just completely, completely blown up. Aldo Marquez with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, good to see you back, brother. I appreciate it, man. It's good to be back. Sam with another super chat. Thanks again. He says, seems like every close decision goes to the house guy. That's a great point, Sam. It's something I've talked about. Um, going back real quick to Lomachenko and Haney. Listen. That truly was a close fight. And it really, you can make an argument either way. You really, really can. Okay. Some of you guys don't want to hear that, but that's the truth. Um, I'm not even going to tell you my opinion on who won. It doesn't really matter at this point. 
it was a close competitive fight. But there is a track record to Sam's point that we could trace back years now where the house fighter, who what I would call the establishment fighter, gets the nod 99.9% of the time in close fights like that, particularly in Las Vegas, and even more so when it involves a North American establishment fighter, be it American or Mexican, versus an Eastern European guy. The track record's there. Ward Kovala was close. Canelo Golovkin, close. I don't, even, I don't think the first fight was that close, honestly. I thought it was 8-4, but let's just call it close. And then uh, Haney Lomachenko, close. All three went to the North American establishment fighter. All three. And there are other fights I could mention. Okay, those are the three that stand out in my mind. So there's a track record. That's concerning too. That's concerning too. And I think that's why a lot of fans just feel really, really ripped off. John, Uda, what's up, John? Thank you so much for the super chat. He says, when a guy like Josh Franco comes in more than six pounds over at a weigh-in, can we assume he was already retired in his mind before even announcing it? Great that you, <clears throat> you brought that up. I forgot to even mention that. But um, yeah, so Franco came in way overweight. And for a guy who fights at 115, six pounds is a lot, right? That's like two weight divisions for those little guys, six pounds. That's a, that's a lot. Part of me wonders, and I've this is my general thought on that whole situation. I think there's some kind of health issue going on there, something going on with the kid, and we're going to learn about it in the coming months and years. I think there's something that his camp has kept quiet, and there's just something going on there because I can't think of any other explanation. He just doesn't seem like the kind of undisciplined kid that would do that. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, wouldn't be the first time, won't be the last. But um, to me, it just seems like, and I've seen this in boxing so many times, where there's something going on behind the scenes. And we find out later that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense why he was missing weight why he was getting injured, blah, blah, blah. There was this health issue, right? I, to me, it just looks like that. It looks like that. We'll see. Aldo with another super chat. Thanks again. He says, it's the simple truth. Boxing is in a sad place. Yeah, and look, man, I, again, I, in a lot of ways, boxing is in a really cool place. Globally, boxing's never been bigger. We've never had this much boxing content being broadcast every week. I mean, complete cards are being broadcast on these streaming platforms. That's never happened. We get cards from all over the world, right? The zone, you, you get stuff from Italy, Uzbekistan, Spain, England, all over the place, Japan. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to be excited about. You know, there's a lot of cool things happening. But there are also a lot of concerns. And I think it's totally fair and okay to bring up those concerns. Um, I think sometimes people take it the wrong way. They think, oh, you're hating. You're just negative. You're always talking about the bad. It's like, no, no, I'm also talking about the good. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. But we can't talk about the. It's like Isaac Newton. 
would you say for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction? Well, I can't talk about the good without talking about the bad. I can't talk about up without talking about down. I can't talk about left without talking about right. So yeah, that's what I try to do here. And you don't get that in a lot of boxing podcasts. There, there are people out there who just want to spit. Everything's awesome. Everything's awesome all the time, right? And then there's people on the other side that just, oh my God, the world is burning. The sky's on fire. And it's some kind of conspiracy theory. You know, Tyson Fury is a devil worshiper and he had egg weights in his gloves when he fought Deontay Wilder. Like then there's that side, right? And I'm just over here in the middle trying to chop it up, you know, like a normal person. So anyway, that's where I'm at with all those guys. Look at this. I'm almost done with my glass of wine here. For those of you who just joined the chat, I haven't had a glass of wine or a beer since April. So I thought today is a celebratory thing. Let me have a glass of wine here. I never had a glass of wine on the show. I've had a beer on the show. But here's what I'm drinking. I don't know if you guys can see this. And for those of you listening, it is a 2014 Cab Merlot blend from France that uh, me and my wife found at this awesome steakhouse she took me to here in Atlanta um, last year on my birthday. And we had this wine. The, the manager actually, she saw my wife was pregnant and was like, um, oh my God, this is so great. And let me get you guys some wine. So my wife had like a sip and I had a lot. <laughs> um, it was so good. We bought a case of this stuff. Anyway. Okay. Let's talk about real quick, real quick preview. Okay, guys, then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, so this weekend, July 1st, tomorrow, Jared Big Baby, Big Baby Anderson versus Charles Martin in Toledo, Ohio on ESPN. Um, I like this fight. I like this for several reasons. I like that top rank is going to Toledo. If I still lived in Detroit, I'd be driving down for this fight. It's only a couple hours. All my Detroit peeps, you should drive down and check this out. It's going to be fun. Um, on paper, this is a step up for Big Baby, right? Charles Martin briefly held a heavyweight belt. It was kind of a fluke, but I won't go into that here. Anyway, Martin fought pretty well against Luis Ortiz last January. Remember that? He actually dropped him. He was ahead halfway through that fight, and then he got stopped in the sixth round. The thing is, when you look at Ortiz, what did he do in his very next fight? Right? So that kind of... It, I think people are reading too much into that performance from Martin. I think Martin's going to have some interesting things to show Anderson early on. I actually think Jared Anderson's going to stop Martin in the middle rounds of this fight. That's just my gut feel. By the way, I said that on Facebook, and me and Charles Martin are friends on Facebook because I've met Charles before. He's from St. Louis. I lived in St. Louis for a while. And um, he was really mad at me that I said, that I said uh, Anderson's going to stop Martin. I'm not even going to say what Charles said to me, <laughs> but um, let's see what happens. I, I told Charles in response to his comment, which was very nasty. I just said, Charles, I'd love for you to prove me wrong. I'd love to see an upset special. If Martin like pulled the upset here and stopped big baby Anderson, that'd be a statement. I love this. I love upsets. I love the heavyweights. But if I were betting, 
I think Anderson stops Martin in the middle rounds. Okay. Um, next week on July 8th, Virgil Ortiz going up against Stanionis in Texas. I like this fight. Good, solid matchup. Here's the, the turd. Uh, this is an otherwise like polished gem, but here's a little bit of a turd on it. Ortiz hasn't fought since last August. And Stanionos hasn't fought since last April. So both of these guys, you know, for uh, for Virgil Ortiz, it's almost a one-year layoff. For Stanionos, it's over a year layoff. So there's going to be some ring rust in this fight. Love the matchup. I get it. There's been injury. There's been stuff going on that's delayed this fight. I'm just saying, again, I can't mention the good without the bad. Like the matchup. I'm going to watch Anderson versus Martin. I'm going to watch Ortiz versus Stanionos. Those are the kind of matchups as a diehard boxing fan that I love. I'm more excited for those type of matchups than Spence Crawford, than Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia. Okay, that's where I'm at. And then uh, the big one for me, July 25th, Stephen Fulton versus Naoya Inouye in Japan, ESPN+. Plus. Again, uh, Aldo, you know, to, to your comment about boxing in a sad place, I agree with you, but here's an example of something in 2023 that we weren't getting 20 years ago. We were just weren't getting it. This is awesome. If you have ESPN Plus, you're going to be able to turn it on in the morning and see this fight between Stephen Fulton, Naoya Inoue. Um, I love this matchup. And, oh, guys, here, look. Come here. You guys want to see my baby? Well, you can see both my babies, but come on, come over here. No, no. Hey, guys, here is Jacqueline. Say hi, baby. Here, bring her a little lower. Say hi, baby. Say hi. Say hi to everybody. Say hi. Right there. Do you see? Right there. Say hi. There's daddy. There's you. There's mommy. And then you see um, my other daughter right here. In my wife's belly. Mwah. Say hi to everybody. She has no idea what's going on. That's okay, baby. One day you're going to be on the show all the time. My cute little bear. I call her my polar bear. Say hi to everybody. Can you say hi real quick? Say hello. Okay. Say bye-bye. Say bye-bye. The audio listener is like, what the hell is going on right now? Say hi. Can you blow a kiss to everybody? Say, yeah, blow a kiss. <laughs> go like this, go. Blow a kiss to everybody. Here we go. Good job, baby boo. Good job. I love you. Okay, go hang out with mommy. I'm almost done, babe. I'm just giving a little preview. They say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, baby. I'll see you in a minute. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, okay. Where was I? I, just, I? I love my daughter so much. Let me tell you guys something real quick. Just a real quick uh, tangent. Um I never thought I would, I never thought I'd say this, 
I never knew something so simple and amazing existed, but the greatest joy in my life is holding my little girl in my arms while she naps. Sometimes I'll kind of rock her to sleep to, to take a nap, you know, after I feed her and stuff, her bottle or after her mom feeds, her mom feeds her more than me and stuff. But she likes laying in my arms because I guess I'm warmer. I got I got bigger arms and stuff. Um, and it's just the greatest joy looking down at my little girl when she's just passed out and kind of like snoring <laughs> in my arms. It's the coolest, simplest thing, man. And it, it just makes me so happy. And pretty soon I'm going to have another little one, another little girl. Um, I just can't wait, man. It's I've been able to do some really cool things in my life. I've been um, able to see a lot of cool stuff, meet a lot of interesting people. I've traveled. I've done a lot. I've experienced a lot of things that 95% of people won't get to. So I'm very fortunate. But of all the things in my life, just holding my little girl, it's this simple little thing. It's so awesome. So awesome. <sighs> anyway. Uh, Fulton versus Inoue in Japan. Um, okay. Love this matchup. It's my favorite matchup of the year. Seriously, it is. And Inoue deserves tremendous credit, brass balls, moving up to 122, has never fought in that division, going right to the main man, Stephen Fulton, who's clearly the best guy in that division. Stephen Fulton, brass balls going all the way over to Japan to fight the monster, a guy that a lot of people are avoiding. So both fighters deserve tremendous credit for this fight, for taking the fight. I love that it's happening. I love that it's not pay-per-view in this country, um, that I could turn on my ESPN Plus and see it live. That is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. That fight right there, what it symbolizes. The winner of that fight may very well be the pound for pound number one guy in the sport. Okay. And the fact that I can get that on my app while I'm having my morning coffee, waking my little girl up. Yeah. That's something in 2023 that we've never gotten before in this sport. That when I was a kid, child of the eighties, teenager, young adult, of the nineties didn't have that sort of thing. So there is something going on in the current landscape of boxing that is really, really awesome. Okay. I like that matchup. That being said, uh, this is the first bout of the year for both. Neither one has fought this year. Fulton hasn't fought in over a year. In a way, as I mentioned, has never fought at 122. He started at 108. Is this a little more? Is he biting off a little more than he could chew here? Is this going to be the weight where he tops off and looks normal? It looks human. Is Fulton going to have too much ring rust? Hasn't fought in over a year. Those are honest questions. Four days after that, July 29th, the big one, Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford in Las Vegas, Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, look, obviously, I love this fight. Okay, I, for what it's worth, I still am going to give Terrence Crawford the nod here on points, although I will say to go back to Sam's point on the super chat, talk about a side, you talk about Vegas. 
if this is a close fight, don't be surprised if Errol Spence gets a controversial decision that goes his way. So Errol Spence will play Devin Haney's part, Andre Ward's part, Canelo Alvarez's part. Terrence Crawford will play Lomachenko's part, Golovkin's part, Kovalev's part. Don't be surprised if that happens. But just on the surface, I like Bud seven rounds to five in this fight. I got to say, Terrence Crawford has fought just three times since 2019. Okay. Errol Spence has fought only twice since 2019. How much may ring rust play a factor in this fight? We shall see. But again, I talked about inactivity, particularly with American fighters, Western fighters. There's a prime example. The biggest fight of the year, biggest matchup of the year. First of all, it should have happened three, four years ago. Second of all, five fights between these two since 2019. Are you hearing me? There's a problem there. And it's going to cost you a premium because it's on pay-per-view. August 12th, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Oscar Valdez in Phoenix on regular ESPN. This is for the WBO 130 belt that Shakur Stevenson vacated. Um, Navarrete won the vacant belt back earlier this year in February. So I like that matchup. It's good quality, fun scrap. We'll talk about that as we get closer to it. Should be a fun crowd in uh, Phoenix too. And then uh, August 19th, Arthur Beterbiev, or better Biev, versus Callum Smith in Quebec City on regular ESPN. ESPN's schedule in the second half of the look, ESPN's schedule in July and August is effing loaded. And none of these are pay per view. These are ESPN, ESPN Plus. I know that like Showtime has the biggest fights, or the biggest fight because they got Spence and Crawford. But if you look at these other fights, dude, ESPN has a pretty damn good schedule through the third quarter. Really, really good schedule. Anyway, better be versus Callum Smith. Do not sleep on this fight, guys. On the surface, it might look like this is a mandatory for better be and it might look like he's going to plow through. This is going to be a tough one for him. Mark my words. This is going to be a tough fight. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then in September, we get Canelo versus Charlo. That is the rumored fight versus Jamal Charlo in Las Vegas. As I mentioned before, Jamal Charlo has not fought since June 2021. So it has been over two years since he has fought, and he's never fought at super middleweight. So that's a good fight. Can't call it a great one. All right, guys, that's it for the preview. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, make sure I'm caught up here. Super chat from Sam. He says, Mike and Tiff plus six. I don't know about that. We are arguing right now, or not arguing, just discussing. Um, do we go for number three or do we stop at two? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Donald says her future boyfriend is fucked. Yeah, I already told my wife, I'm like, look, about 15 years from now, when the two girls are in high school, we're going to need a bail fund for me to get out of jail because I'm probably going to go to jail a couple of times. I'm going to be a psycho old man. I'm going to be in my late fifties with teenage daughters in high school, probably stroking a shotgun in my boxers as her boyfriend walks in the house. Yeah, that's probably happening. Okay. 
All right, guys. I think that is it, man. Um, I thought we'd go an hour. It went an hour and a half. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you guys got to see my little girl. Um, she's eight months old, by the way, now. And her little sister is five months in. Yeah, we just had our 20-week checkup a week or two ago. So that's where we're at with all that. So round and round this it goes, this, this thing called life. And there's good stuff. There's bad stuff. Just like boxing. There's good stuff. There's bad stuff. Things to be happy about. Things to be concerned about. But all in all, we keep on going, and um, it's pretty awesome. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to my fellow Americans out there. Um, enjoy your holiday weekend, and we'll see you back next month. Love you guys. I missed you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll do it again soon. I promise. Peace. Peace.